0: Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I used to have a show on NPR that I created, produced, and hosted. It was called It's Your Health. And I had a wonderful series on that program with the fantastic Mark Golston. Mark Golston, originally a UCLA professor of psychiatry for over 25 years and a former FBI and police hostage negotiator trainer. Dr. Mark Golston's expertise, I should have said doctor, has been forged and proven in the In the crucible of real-life, high-stakes situations, an influencer who helps influencers become more influential, his unique background has made him an indispensable and sought-after resource and change facilitator to Fortune 500 leaders, entrepreneurs, and educators across the nation. He is an all-around fantastic man, and I always learn so much from his books. He has a brand-new program that we're going to talk about today. It's called Defeating Self-Defeat, 12 Ways to Get Out of Your Own Way, Dr. Mark Goldstein. it's so good to have you back.
1: Well, it's uh, I I've missed you and and it's I no, missed you. That's it's nice to be missed. Something else I should add is I'm a Marshall Goldsmith MG100 coach. So Marshall Goldsmith if you go to LinkedIn, you know, he's the top executive coach in the world and he's assembled a group of the top coaches in the world and so you know, I, I don't know how they let me in under the radar, but but apparently I'm one of them. And so uh uh and what I work on with people is basically anything that is psychologically or interpersonally getting in the way of their fulfilling their potential.
0: Yeah, see, that is so important. You know, I, I was telling Dr. Golston before the show that, yeah, we talk about nutrition, we talk about fitness, and those things are so important. But you can have all the muscles you want, eat all the kale you want, but if mentally you're not feeling good, if you're not feeling fulfilled, if you're doing things that are self defeating to me, it's really about the inside and the outside. So let's get this together. So let's talk about this new program. It's with something called Himalaya. It's Defeating Self-Defeat, 12 Ways to Get Out of Your Own Way. And I love in the trailer, you talk about the fact that a lot of people make hasty decisions, and that gets us into trouble.
1: Well, we also talk about that one of the things that's gone away, it's kind of a unicorn because it's gone away, is the ability to pause before we react. People just don't pause anymore. They just react. And uh, when we talk about the course, and and if you go to Himalaya.com, and I have trouble spelling it, but it's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, Himalaya.com forward slash defeat. And if you put In the promo code defeat, I think all all capital letters D E F E A T, you can hear the course for free, I think for 14 days. And one of the reasons, and a little bit of a backstory, uh, I've written or co authored nine books. My first book was called Get Out of Your Own Way. And that was 25 years ago. And two weeks ago, Without any marketing, two weeks ago, it made it onto the top ten bestseller list of the Wall Street Journal.
0: Oh my gosh, that's fantastic! It's a great book. I'm not surprised, but still, for a book that's 25 years old, what what do you think it was?
1: Well, I think well, I think what happened is all of my books uh, have really become popular through word of mouth. I've never had a book tour ever for nine books, and uh, very little advertising. I think people discover the books. And then they uh, they share them with other people. Also, get out of your own way. Uh, I have six books uh, that are translated into Russia, Russian, and they're all bestsellers. And they their last their last book of mine that they did was my first book, "Get Out of Your Own Way." And but uh, one of the ways I talk about it is one of the things I say to people is, "Do you know the difference between a calamity and a tragedy?" A calamity you can't avoid. You get prepared, but it's a flood. It's a tsunami. It's uh, a a big fire. It's COVID. Uh, And it just hits us and it's kind of a tragedy. It's, it's, It's a calamity. But a tragedy is a tragedy because it feels like it could have been preventable. And one of the greatest tragedies in life is getting to the end of your life and you look back and you say, could have been a lot better, you know, and and it could have been a lot better because what happened is what you could have avoided, you failed to prevent because you got in your own way. And I want to go back to, you mentioned something, diet, exercise, uh, uh, because the course has 12, they're all audio episodes, but one of the first ones is on procrastination and each of the episodes is a different way of thinking about things. So I'm going to give tactics and advice to your listeners about dieting and exercising if they've been procrastinating. So in that episode, what we talk about is that we procrastinate not because we're disorganized or lazy, we procrastinate because we're lonely. And what I talk about is that when we're young children, we often do things and we hate doing them, but we have to do them. Our school is on our back, our parents are on our back, and we do them. But inside, we say to ourselves, when I get older, and there's no one around me, uh, and I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to put it off. But what happens is, if we connect with other people, and we become sponsors, like an AA, And we use that fellowship. We stop procrastinating giving up alcohol. Or if you're going to university and your dormitory or your fraternity or sorority is a pigsty, you say, you know, let's all let's all clean it up on Saturday. Let's just do it, you know, and then we'll have a party at the end of the day. And I'll share something else. I'm going to aim this also at you because you're a radio or a talk show host. So years ago, when the book came out, I was on a call with this delightful young woman, and I'm talking about this, and she's listening to me the way you're listening to me, good listening. And I, sa- and I said, Natalie, what are you procrastinating on? She said, I'm procrastinating on writing a book. Everyone says I should write a book. I've had a lot of life experiences. I said, how long have you been uh, procrastinating? She said, oh, about a year and a half. I said, we're going to fix that. She said, oh, Really? I said, if you were to write a book, what time in the day would be the best time for you to be writing? She said, well, 7 a.m. 7 a.m. maybe for a half an hour. I said, well, here's the deal. 7 a.m. your time is 4 a.m. my time. And I'm going to call you every day for a month. I'm going to give myself a break on the weekends. I'm going to call you at 4 a.m. my time. And it's going to be the same call. I'm going to say, Natalie, wake up. Get in front of the computer. No, don't complain. It's 4 a.m. my time. Don't complain. Get in front of the computer. Are you there? Good. What question should I ask you so that when you answer it, you start writing? And we're going to do that every day. So we did that. And she told her listeners, you know that crazy psychiatrist? He's actually <laughs> calling me every day. He's making me crazy. And But we did it. And then six months later, she... Uh, calls me and she says, "What's your address? I want to send you the book."
0: What motivated you to do that for her?
1: Well, because i i live I live to help people have a better life. Uh, it's it's what I was born to do, we, and you know, and we've talked about it. I do a lot of work on suicide prevention, and yeah. I pivoted that. And, and on a later program, when we formally mm-hmm. announce it. Uh, and my partner and I, we've developed a program for parents to, how do you raise your willful child to not be an angry, defiant, and destructive teenager? And we figured out how to do that.
0: I like to look at people's trauma. I like to understand, you know, know more more about their childhood. Do you find that certain types of people, depending on how they were raised, depending on their trauma and their experiences, engage more in self-defeating behaviors than other people? Are there certain patterns if your parents were alcoholics or if you were neglected or or is it just sort of across the board, people can engage in these self-defeating behaviors?
1: Well, I think anyone can engage, but boy, you hit the nail on the head because something that's happened since you and I were last in touch is I've become a grandparent of three.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thank you.
1: I have a two and a half year old, an eight month old, and an eight week old, and they're all local. I get to see them every day. And what I'm realizing is how non-present I was with my children when they were growing up. I'd be present with my patients, you know, be, I'd give them my undivided attention. But with my kids, I just wanted to check the boxes, make sure we fed them, got them off to school, got them doing their homework. And then, and then I'd be off. In fact, my kids nickname for me, who are now grown and have given me these wondrous grandchildren, my kids nickname for me, uh, when they were young, was hi kids, bye kids, love you kids, <laughs> <laughs> and we laugh. But it is not funny, Lisa. If if that's your nickname, no, it's not. Bye kids, love you kids. You're not present. But what? And, but but to your point, what I'm doing with my grandchildren, and occasionally my daughters will say, "Are you going to do the googly eye thing with my kid?" Because what I'm doing is uh, when I see my grandchildren especially the uh, well now it's happening with all of them is I have a way of looking into people's eyes like I can look into your eyes and hold your eyes which I use to actually save lives when I was working with suicidal patients I'd find a way to grab onto their eyes and what I would say with my eyes is I'm not letting go when you're going to walk out of this and they could feel it so i'm doing that with my grandchildren they can't speak but i can hold on to their eyes but what but to your point what i'm noticing is that when children are in the womb their wish is mom's command oh you know you need a little uh, food here it comes you need a little warmth here it comes uh you need a little rest here it comes but then when you're plopped out into the world you know Your parents do a good job, loving parents do a good job, but you can't always read their mind. And what happens is when you experience pain or fear because the pain is too much, you cry, you scream. And uh, a lot of the time, uh, parents will get it right and they'll feed you, they'll change you, they'll put you down for your nap. But what I'm seeing is there's a gap. It's not the same as being in the womb. And so... As a grandparent, when I go visit my grandchildren, uh, I'll look into their eyes and they're not i'm imagining they're saying to me that if they're having a rough time, am I going to get through this Grandpa yeah, yeah uh, uh, was it good that I was born? Oh yeah, uh, am I going to have a good life? yeah uh, am I going to have a good job? We'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking into their eyes, imagining that they're reaching out for something to enable them to tolerate whatever they're feeling. And I can see that when they reach out and, and infants and young children aren't getting that, they resort to things that make them feel better for the moment. And all self-defeating behaviors make you feel better for the moment. For instance, uh, uh, one of my problems is, and, and I need to get better at it since I wrote a book called Just Listen, is sometimes I can talk too much. You can't shut me up. And for a guy who wrote a book on listening, I need to do a better job. In fact, one of my friends, Marty Nemco, he was an NPR host, he taught me the traffic light rule. So here's a, here's a tactic I'm going to lay on you and your listeners to know if you're talking too much. When you're having a conversation and you're not a guest on a talk show where I can go on and on and I get away with it, but if you're in a conversation with someone, you're not a guest on a talk show. And if they haven't invited you to go into a monologue, you they're not really wanting one. And the traffic light rule is when you're with another person and you're speaking with them, you have 20 seconds before the green light turns to yellow. And at yellow, they getting a little nervous. And then you get another 20 seconds before the yellow light turns to red. And at 40 seconds, especially in this impatient world, you've worn out your welcome. Here's the problem. Initially, in those first 20 seconds... You know you're giving them information. It's a dialogue. But the next twenty seconds, if you pardon the uh, the 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 image, you're having a high colonic. I mean, this feels great. I'm getting stuff off my chest. Nobody listens to me at home. This person is listening to me. (laughs) And the point is, you don't even know that they're not listening to you. You don't even notice they're looking at their watch in front of you, that they're restless because you're just feeling all this relief. And the problem is those 40 seconds feel like two seconds. And the disconnect is, oh, I'm feeling so good. They must be enjoying it, not...
0: I have violated that already fifty times since I've been on your show. <laughs> you give out such good information. I'm not gonna interrupt. Uh you know, it's funny. I mean, I sucked a pacifier till I was six, and it's because I'm, you know, my parents would joke that, you know, that I that I would just sit happily for hours and hours in this chair that rocked back and forth when I was a baby sucking my pacifier. And I'm thinking I don't think I was that happy because when I grew up, I had like sex and love addiction issues and because they were good people, but they weren't great parents. And it took me a long time to therapy and working through my issues and, and thinking as I have, I mean, there's still residual attention things. And, but at any rate, it, it, it does. I feel like when you have, and there's a certain way you're raised, you are more likely to do those self-defeating behaviors.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, you're reaching out for, for relief. Um, I, you know, when I find great information uh, and it's other people's information, I need to share it with people. So, if you're listening to this, you need to check out the new book, the New York Times bestseller by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry, called "What Happened to You." And I'll oh, I've
0: heard about that.
1: I'll tell you a little bit about it because some years ago, several years ago, Oprah Winfrey did a story on trauma-informed care, and it was at a center that was run by Dr. Bruce Perry. And in 60 Minutes Overtime, the reporter asked Oprah about the story. And Oprah said, it was the most life-changing story of any story I've done in my career. That's a lot for Oprah to say. And the reporter asked her, well, what do you mean? And she said, what trauma-informed care means is that when children are acting out because of the neglect or the, the abuse, It's because trauma before was so painful, the acting out is a way to relieve the pain or get even with someone. And so what uh, Oprah was admitting to the reporter is, and that's the name of the book, is instead of looking at people who are acting out and scolding them and saying, why'd you do that? Uh, uh, And then they escalate and get defensive. If you can realize that, Something happened to you or something happened to them recently or uh, uh, or a long time ago. And if you can just believe that, that most people way down deep are basically good, but everybody's capable of acting out, when you pause and say, what happened to you that you're acting this way? And I'll share something that I learned from a rabbi friend, which is so eloquent, it's I think it'll blow you away. What he says to one of his children, if they're acting out or acting up, he said, What happened to you that you're acting in an acting in a way that is different than I believe you to be, and different than I think you believe yourself to be.
0: Oh wow. That's powerful. I'm going to steal that. Oh, it's use that with my daughter. Yeah, because because often
1: your child knows they did something wrong, but rather than and, and they're worried. But if you say to them, "What happened to you that you did that?" Which is not who I believe you to be, and I don't think it's who you to who you believe yourself to be. Then they get to talk about, "Well, I was so angry, I was so upset, or I was so hungry, I, I did such and such." You know, and then you can. And then that's a whole different kind of conversation than you normally would have.
0: So let's jump in to this program. Again, Defeating Self-Defeat, 12 Ways to Get Out of Your Own Way. You talked about the procrastination. I love that. What if you're not lazy or lonely And then you, the the second thing is taking things too personally. And you say, try out the 72 hour rule for the times when you feel offended or hurt. What is the 72 hour rule? And again, I don't want to go too deep because I don't want to give it all away. I want people to get this program. It's amazing, but you can touch on that.
1: So what does it mean when we take things too personally, when something happens and it's not meant personally, but we feel it personally, and when we take it personally, we tend to react, we tend to react in a destructive way. We either uh, we we get even with the other person by uh, getting angry at them, or I'll show you I'm going off my diet and I'm going to eat a whole pizza and then and then some. And so, so the again the uh, the insights and in, uh, advice that we give in each of the uh, chapters. Is I think stuff that people wouldn't think of, and so hopefully they'll use it. So for for, for procrastinating, you know, uh, make sure you uh, reach out to other people uh, to do something, and you won't procrastinate. In terms of taking things too personally, what I talked about was pr- possibly it's in the top three pieces of uh, insight that I learned being a psychiatrist. When I was training to be a psychiatrist and we would work in the emergency rooms, we would put people on a 72-hour hold. And what that means is we could put them somewhere to protect them from hurting themselves or somewhere else. And in those days uh, and in these days, we'd medicate them. But if you give someone 72 hours, even without medication, most people are going to calm down. Uh, and, And if you protect them from hurting others or themselves, you might be able to save a life or someone else's life. So what the 72-hour hold exercise is, is when, whenever I'm upset by something, and I tend to get upset with myself more than with other people, it's just my makeup, but I say to myself, Mark, put yourself on a 72-hour hold. And what that means is don't do anything for 72 hours to make it worse. And it's interesting, when I've given presentations to people, uh, I will often ask people, "How many of you have had a breakthrough in your life?" Nearly, you know, the audiences I speak to—that's pretty common. So nearly everybody raises their hands. And I say, "How many of you had a breakdown prior to the breakthrough?" And usually, uh, at least three quarters of the audience keep their hands raised. And the breakdown is usually not something that was invited, enjoyed. Sometimes it was—it was quite scary. Uh, and here's the deal: Whenever we have the breakdown, we are tempted to engage in a self-defeating behavior to get immediate relief. And the problem is, if we engage in that self-defeating behavior by yelling at people, or overeating, or binge eating, what happens is we feel guilty, or uh, a- and our conscience bothers us, or and we may have to apologize to someone else, or if no one catches us but we binge eat we have to deal with our shame we feel ashamed and embarrassed and here's the problem is when you do something to make a situation worse in the first 72 hours you're so busy either apologizing to others or dealing with your own sense of embarrassment that you can miss the breakthrough doesn't that make sense absolutely so that's the takeaway so uh Uh, whenever you're upset, say to yourself, don't do anything uh, to make it worse for 72 hours. And while I'm on that, something else that that I'm a big proponent of, positive statements, positive affirmations, positive anything saying to myself have never worked. Uh, and And I'm envious of people who can wake up and say, I'm a great person. But what does work is I have something called the Dead Mentors Society. I've had eight mentors. They've all died. And whenever I mess up and I'm about to beat up on myself, I call upon one of my dead mentors. And my last mentor was Larry King. I had breakfast with him every day for two years before COVID. And I was part of this quirky breakfast club group. And he he had a couple awful years before. He had all kinds of illnesses, divorce, stroke, leukemia. I mean, everything. It's amazing he lasted so long. And before him, one of my mentors was a fellow named Warren Bennis. And anybody who's ever been in leadership or management knows that name. But uh, if you have a mentor or a parent or a teacher or a coach, here's what I'd suggest you do. And this is how I use what I call the Dead Mentor Society. So when I goof up one of the, so this I use in addition to the 72 hour hold, I will call upon one of my dead mentors and imagine them talking me through it. So I've been doing a lot of guest podcasts for some reason or other. People seem to want me on. And recently it's been kind of fun because after the podcast, I'll call up Larry King and in his Brooklyn voice, he says,
0: Mark, Mark.
1: I'm not even cold yet. Come on, what's going on? I say, Larry, I did it again. What'd you do? Uh, I was on a podcast. I started a story. I didn't finish the story. I said, "Here's the five things you need to remember." I, I mentioned three. I mean, you know, when am I going to learn how to do this? He said, "Mark, Mark, what would the host think?" Well, she wants me back again soon. Mark, come on, do me a favor. Um. You know, I'm not even cold yet. You know, I, let me go back to RIP and put a sock in it already, will you? And then what, what's interesting is I can call upon these people and just remembering how much they liked me, believed in me. I would even say loved me. And then missing them, just feeling that makes makes the pain go away.
0: It's so nice to have that. How did you two meet?
1: Oh, so this is another good story. So a friend of mine named Jeff Evans was the, uh, the manager of a Nespresso store. So there was an Nespresso store in Beverly Hills, and I had met him on a couple occasions. And he said, Mark, uh, you know, I have breakfast with Larry King. I'm part of this group. And, you know, why don't you come over? You'll be my guest. And so I go over there, and we're at uh, a, a delicatessen, the uh, uh, Nate Nows, very famous delicatessen in Beverly Hills. And there's probably six at the table, and I'm diagonally furthest away from him. And 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 he's a great listener, uh, very curious, the most curious person you've ever met in your life, uh, and that's what made him a great interviewer. And so he's engaged in a conversation with another of the. Uh, people across from him who's very animated and, and, and just really passionate and enjoyable. Uh, and, and I'm watching Larry and, and I get introduced by Jeff and, you know, he's polite, but you know, I'm just sort of a guest. And I look at him uh, as we're leaving and I say, Larry, uh, you're very curious. How long have you been curious? And I get his attention and he says, I've been curious all my life. I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "When I was a child, you know, while other people wanted a you know ice cream bar, I was curious. How do you make ice cream? i have just been curious." And so, uh, so this is how you make a great first impression. I said, "Larry, uh, recently on uh, one of the uh, talk shows, uh, there was a Sully Sullenberger." Who was the fellow who landed the plane on the Hudson, I think, uh, to save everybody? He was being asked about President Trump. And I'm not getting into politics here. I'm just telling a story. And so, uh, and he used the word in describing President Trump. Uh, Sully said, I find him to be incurious because I'm not sure how much he's able to learn. And so I brought that up. And so Larry's sort of looking at me and i said larry here's the idea you have sully sullenberger on your show and you print up a cap and you got to pick another color and it says instead of maga it's maka and it stands for make america curious again and you put it on your hat head uh, and you put it on sully's head and you say sully Want to go do this? I said he'd be on it in a heartbeat. So the person who's speaking to Larry looks at Larry, and Larry sort of tilts his head, and and he looks at me, and he looks at Larry, and he says, "Do you know how effing brilliant that idea was?" And then Larry pauses, and he looks at me, and he says, "You can come to breakfast every day." <laughs>
0: That is brilliant. You know, one of the things that I would do when I was a kid is number four, quitting too soon. Oh my gosh, my mom's like, why don't you try piano? And I tried that, I quit that. Tap dancing, I love the sound of the tap shoes, but somehow, I don't know why I quit that. I think I quit ballet after two lessons. I quit tennis. And my mother always said, you're gonna be sorry when you're older. What's going on there for people who quit too soon?
1: Well, I think what happens is they start to... First of all they don't like losing, they don't like failing, they don't like making mistakes, they feel embarrassed and part of it is because you know when you're when you're moving forward with something you gather momentum and and if you're fortunate you can get in a state of flow. And what a state of flow means and I'll just throw a little neuroscience here, is that when you're going for a goal and things are moving along, your goal is like your your true north on a compass. And what's aligned with it is what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and what you're doing. It's all lined up and it's heading for that goal. And then if that goal gets ripped away because you fail. It's almost like that goal was a bracelet holding your thinking, your feelings, and your actions together. And when it gets ripped away, you go into free fall. So can you see that? You know, as, 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 as successful as you thought you were going to be is as much of a failure, uh, as you turned out to be. And I'll share an anecdote. Uh, I'm not sure if this is in that episode. It might be, but, uh, but this is, but this is, Uh, how to deal with failure, which can make you want to quit. Years ago, a good friend of mine was the CEO of Advanced Medical Optics, which makes the uh, ophthalmic solution Blink. You know, it's a a lubricant. And Blink was their top product. And uh, an announcement was made that it was hurting corneas. And my good friend and CEO, Jim Mazzo, Pulled the product off out of stores immediately. It was their top product. He didn't check with the board. He didn't check with anyone. He just did it. And I called Jim to tell him how proud I was to know him. It was like the person who pulled Tylenol many years before earlier.
0: Oh, I remember. Oh, wow, that was a while and, ago.
1: And I said, I said, I'm just so proud to know you that you, you without asking anyone, you know, you made that decision. And this is what he said. So this is what I think is the best way to deal with uh, a failure. Is he said, Mark, I'm giddy with excitement. And I, That's right. Uh, Lisa's tilting her head like, what? I, I said, you better close the door. <laughs> what do you mean you're giddy with excitement? Uh, he said, I'm giddy with excitement. And I said, what happened? He said, you know, we have a great company. And even in the best of companies, the best of relationships, stuff happens. Mistakes happen. Failures happen. And he said, in my entire life, any failure that I've been through, any mistake I've made has always made me smarter, stronger, and tougher. And I know this is going to do the same, but I just don't know what it's going to show up and look like but it always happens. And I thought, what an amazing way to look at failing or like when you wanted to quit. Uh, I think if if, if a parent could say, if a parent could open you up and say, well, what happened that you want to quit? What happened to you? Well, I lost. Well, what did that feel like when you lost? I hated it. What did you hate about it? Well, I wanted to win, and then I lost, and and, and and then you keep them talking. And then what happened? Well, I started crying, and I or I threw my racket, if it was tennis or whatever, you know, and then what happened? And the key is, if you can keep them talking to you, and they get over the initial, uh, well, I hate doing this, to, well, I don't really hate it. I'm just frustrated because I thought I'd like it, but I don't like it. But if you can keep them talking... And if you're fortunate, you say, you know, I don't think you just hated it and you're frustrated. I think you're disappointed. And if you can get them talking about what they were disappointed in, they might say, well, I was disappointed because I thought I could be really great at this and it's really being harder and it's making me feel stupid. And I'm really disappointed that it's happening again. But if you can guide them through that conversation, what were you frustrated about? What were you upset about? What were you disappointed about? And they talk it out and through with you. Can you see how it calms them down?
0: Uh, oh, my God. I'm just thinking that would have been so amazing. All my mother said was, you're going to be sorry when you're older. She said it like that, too.
1: And if, yeah, and if we can do this, uh, in fact, we're rolling out something, uh, and I won't tell you the I'll I'll give you some of the guts of it but I won't tell you what the program is and and we're rolling it out we hope through law enforcement because law enforcement needs a win. And uh, so I'm in conversation with the LAPD cuz the uh, and the LA Sheriff's Department wants to do something in the community. So uh, my partner and I have developed a program to uh, to raise willful children to not become angry, defiant, and destructive teens. So there's a need for that. And we'll just tell you what it is. And and But we'll be rolling it out in all kinds of ways. Uh, what it comes down to is that every day, parents are going to have a conversation with their children. Every day. And the first thing, and the parents are going to go through it themselves. And the first thing they're going to talk about is, what, what do we feel upset about? And you talk about that. And then the most important thing is you talk about, you know, kind of your impulse, and you say, "And what did it make you want to do?" Well, I felt like quitting. I felt like uh, I felt like uh, quitting my, you know, my sports lessons. I feel like I felt like quitting my uh, report that I'm writing. Uh, so, you felt like quitting. What did you do? Well, if it's a parent talking, well, I went around. I took a walk around the block, and then went back into my company before I yelled at someone. And how did that work out? Well, that was much better than if I'd done something really stupid. And so the idea is that parents need to model not reacting and self-restraint to their kids. Because there's a saying that James Baldwin came up with, and he said, children rarely listen to their elders, but they never fail to grow up to be like them. Children watch how we model things. And so if you do this every day, and what we're finding with marriages is that it's having a lot of benefit because after parents do this, and we tell the parents when you're bringing up something, don't bring up something that scares your children. Don't say, oh, I'm feeling upset because I lost my job and we're going to have to go live on the street. You know, don't scare your children. just bring up something that you're upset about.
0: Just talking, just having these open conversations about how we're feeling, what's going on. I mean, that's life-changing.
1: That's absolutely true. And and what's happening, so you can picture this, the parents are modeling this. And then after they have the conversation with their children and get their children to talk it out, afterwards, parents are then saying to each other, you know, what I was feeling upset about was you, but I didn't want to snap at you in front of the children. And in fact, I don't want to snap at you because it just makes it worse. And what I'm doing instead is having this conversation, which is better.
0: I just want to read the category so people know how much they're getting with this. Again, it's it's so good. It is defeating self-defeat, 12 ways to get out of your own way. So there's procrastination, taking things too personally, not learning from your mistakes, quitting too soon, Trying to change others, holding on to a grudge, thinking I'm sorry is enough, talking too much, feeling sorry for yourself, making bad situations worse, taking and not taking no for an answer, letting fear run your life. Since we just have a little bit of time left, I'd love for you to choose one or two that you'd like to just give us a little more information on. I I think they're all fantastic and there's so much in this program. I really urge everyone to go and get it. Trying to change others. Um, I'm it's funny I'm glad you said that because that's oh my gosh that's so huge for so many people
1: so I actually talk about a very personal story uh, and a personal story was I think in 1994-95 my dad uh, had Alzheimer's and uh, terrible disease you know it takes away people's dignity it's We all do the best we can. And my mother called me, and they were living in Florida, and she said, you got to come over because he's driving himself crazy, driving me crazy, because he used to have a photographic memory, and he just spent all day trying to remember everything he forgot. all he did. So I go there, and and I'm there for three or four days, and I'm trying to convince him, let's go for a walk, let's – uh, let's go outside. And, and on the day uh, I was going to leave, he looked at me and he said, do me a favor, don't visit again so soon. Just get off my back, both of you. So the mission had failed. And I remember I was sitting out on a porch and he was just staring out. There was a golf course in the distance. And I was actually looking at the galleys of my book. So it must have been 1994. And in my book, Get Out of Your Own Way, uh, uh, there are 40 chapters of self-defeating behaviors, and each of the chapters has a usable insight for you to think about. And I was looking at the chapter called Trying to Change Others. And the usable insight is something like, don't try to change others accept them as they are and hope they change instead of not accepting them at all until they change so i look at the book and i think why don't you practice what you preach so i look at him and what happens next to appreciate it you have to realize that my you know my dad was from the old school you know grew up in the depression didn't like the c word the cancer word and he had had cancer some years before my mom told us don't look he's getting treatment for it don't tell him about it he'll just dwell on it and she was probably right so you get that mindset of someone and and i never seen my dad cry uh, and that's not that unusual from old school dads and so i let go of trying to change him and i said how are you doing dad And he looked at me, and then he looked down, and then he looked at me, and his eyes got watery, and he said, I never thought it would turn out this way. And then he looked at me, and I said, I understand, you know, and I was compassionate. And he said, so this is the guy who didn't want to know what the C word was. He looks at me, and his his face is all scrunched up like one of those apple dolls you get up in Maine. And he looks at me and he says, what is Alzheimer's disease? And, you know, um, you know I want to honor his question. I said, well, it's something that affects your memory. You can't remember things from a few minutes ago. You can remember things from 50 years ago. And, and, then, he, and then he was just <clears throat> concentrating, like with whatever his ability to concentrate was. And he looked at me and he squinched his eyes and he said, do I have it? And I said, I don't know. I mean, your memory used to be terrific, and it's not so good anymore. And then my dad and I went for a walk. So, th- so that's the power of not trying to change others and trying to accept them as they are.
0: That was beautiful. It's so hard sometimes, when especially when you see people – and this is a whole other topic, so I'd love to have you. Well, I want to have you back a bunch, but, you know, I have a friend with an eating disorder. I want to share an anecdote, and you can, you know, when you play this, it's for her.
1: Yeah, I've had a long life and interesting career, and I've got a lot of stories, So uh, but this one uh, maybe will Reach you and other people with eating disorders. So I trained at UCLA in psychiatry. And at the time, it had one of the top eating disorder programs in the world. And and treatments back then were, you know, if someone was dangerously thin, like they were starving to death, you'd admit them and you'd sometimes have to force feed them. And it was, you know, even with tubes, it was just awful. And I remember I was in the emergency room admitting patients, uh, you know, because we took turns doing that. And this, little little thing of a girl came in she must have been 85 90 pounds and you know i'm getting to know her and and looks like we're going to admit her uh, to the inpatient unit and i had time and i didn't have to go back to you know the area where i you know slept during the night and, and there was no other patients waiting. So I so I said, uh, can we try a little exercise? Uh, you know, I've learned as part of my training. It's kind of an imagery exercise. And she was okay with that. And I said, you know, I want you to sort of relax, you know, uh, you know lean back in your seat. And I said, I'd like you to close your eyes. And I said, are you right-handed or left-handed? She said, I'm right-handed. I said, uh, and I knew something about her family, but, you know, just... Not a deep, deep interview as they would do on the inpatient unit. And I said, I'd like you to take your left hand and put it over your stomach, close your eyes, and just breathe slowly. And I want you to imagine that that hand is the loving, patient, warm hand of your mom whether or not your mom is like that, just of of a mom and hopefully your mom. And as you're, I want you to close your eyes. And with each breath, I want you to imagine that the hand is saying to you, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And so with each breath, feel that the warmth of your left hand over your stomach, breathe in, and imagine that that's a loving mom saying, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And breathe that in with your eyes closed. And and then we did that for a bit. And I said, now I want you to put your right hand over your left hand, over your stomach. And that right hand is the right hand of your father. And your father's hand is over your mother's left hand. And the right hand of your father is saying, To your mother and you, we're all going to get through this and we're going to be fine. We're all going to get through this and we're going to be fine. And the left hand of your mother is saying to you, I'm here and I'm not going away. And I said, keep your eyes closed and I want you to breathe that in and feel it go into the DNA of your soul. Just feel those messages and take them in. And then she did that, and then I got an announcement that they were coming down to you know, bring her upstairs to be admitted into the inpatient unit. And so I knew I had to sort of bring her out of this, and I said, you know, uh, what I'd like you to do is, uh, and I had a weird way of doing imagery and hypnosis, I said, and I said, you can either remember everything we talked about or forget everything, and it doesn't matter. But whatever we talked about went into you. The, the, that loving, warm hand of your mom and the uh, and the encouraging, strong hand of your dad. I want you to imagine as we're counting, you know, from one to ten, that whatever that was went into you, and it's going to stay there forever. So we get up to 10 and she starts opening her eyes and she's flicking them open. And I didn't, you know, ask her about anything. And then the people came down to bring her up there. And she looked at me and she said, Can I go to the cafeteria first? Because I'm starved.
0: That's powerful. Oh my gosh, I could keep you forever. You're you're just wonderful. I'm the program again is defeating self-defeat. Twelve ways to get out of your own way. Dr. Mark Goldstein, you just inspire me every time. And, you know, I say this a lot on the show, but the reason I, I love doing the show is I want people to be able to put things into action right away to make their lives better. And you are just the epitome of that. I mean, you're just the, the wonderful guest. You're a wonderful man. And I'm just so moved. If you can tell us all the ways we can find you and this wonderful program.
1: Well, the program, if you go to Himalaya.com forward slash defeat, uh, and then... Uh, you can get a, you can listen to all their courses, I believe, for 14 days for free. And then you can cancel. Uh, but there's a promo code and it's defeat. Uh, it may be capital letters, but that'll allow you to hear all the 12 episodes. <clears throat> you can go to my website, which is markgoulston.com, mark And when you go there, you'll see all kinds of, uh, uh articles, blogs that I write. I also have a podcast called My Wake Up Call, which is really exploding, uh, and I I have <clears throat> I get about twelve requests a week to come on there, and I, I've had some amazing guests. I had this controversial psychologist Jordan Peterson on; it was wonderful. Uh, I've had I had Larry King on a couple times. I had Tom Steyer; he ran for president. Oh yeah. Esther Wojcicki, who's uh, daughters. One, I think, uh, uh, is the CEO of 23andMe, and I think the other one is uh, of Netflix. Uh, uh, so really fascinating people. Um, and and it's a very personal podcast. So uh, what I talk to people about is what matters most to you, what's your calling in life, and tell us the wake-up calls that led you there. And, and they're very personal uh, episodes. So you can find that on at- my my wake-up call.
0: It's great. Dr. Mark, this has just been fabulous. I I just can't wait to have you back.
1: Well, uh, I'm going to come knocking on your door. Trust me on that.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. I hope you got as much out of the show as I did. I feel so lucky to talk to so many incredible people to help you live your healthiest life. So please rate, review, and subscribe and never miss an episode of Talk Healthy Today.